1: Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Cathy Sheridan and just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and you can always find us on irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what you hear in our two episodes a week, uploaded on Mondays and Thursdays, please do tell all your friends and go to iTunes and write a review there explaining why we are your very favourite podcast and of course tell all your friends about it. Before we get on with the episode, we wanted to remind you that the Women's Podcast is partnering with Body and Soul Festival, Ireland's most beautiful festival, filled with three days of music, art, culture and well-being, taking place on the summer solstice weekend, June 22nd to 24th in Ballinlock Castle in Westmeath. 2018's edition includes Fever Ray, Chronics, Arca, John Hopkins, who is playing live, Iron and Wine. Baxter Jewry and James Holden and the Animal Spirits. Head to bodyandsoul.ie to pick up a final tier ticket and be sure to check out the Irish Times programme on the Woodland stage taking place on Saturday afternoon. There are brilliant talks planned for Saturday, including a live recording of the women's podcast called The People Have Spoken, which will discuss life in Ireland post-referendum. We wonder what they will have spoken about. In our next few episodes in the run-up to May 25th, we'll be talking about the referendum, about the Eighth Amendment, about how it affects people. We'll be going out in the canvas with the yes and the no sides and we'll be delivering you a special Abortion the Facts podcast just before the vote. But today we wanted to talk to someone who for the past 13 years has been at the coalface of this issue. Marguerite McCarthy is a crisis pregnancy counsellor with one family which provides support for lone parents and separated parents and she has seen and heard it all when it comes to women in pregnancy. And she has concerns that the debate around this referendum is focusing too much on what we call the hard cases and not reflective of the vast majority of those ordinary women who make the decision to end their pregnancies. We also have one of those so-called ordinary women, Louise White, here with us to tell us about her experience of crisis pregnancy. Marguerite, you're very welcome to the Women's Podcast. I'll start with you. You and I both remember 1983 and what the atmosphere was like back then, what people could and couldn't do and how difficult it was. Tell us a bit about what you remember. What
2: I remember about 1983 is that I had just had my second child and uh, I had two young children then. I was quite young, I was 28, and I remember watching with horror um, the referendum then um, and listening to people back then in 1983 who foretold all the things that have happened now, all what that referendum has put women through since.
1: What did you most fear back then, Margaret?
2: That women's lives would be listening to people talking who were against the referendum, that women's lives would be put in danger, that doctors and nurses would become afraid to make decisions and all the things that we hear now in the media. um, I remember listening to that back in 1983 and feeling really scared that that referendum was going to be passed. And I suppose the reason I'm talking to you, Cathy, is I have a concern that this referendum might not be passed. because I've worked for a long time as a counsellor and I wouldn't I wouldn't speak in public about issues, really, because I feel I'm conscious that clients come in to me from all backgrounds who have all beliefs. And I've, I've said to Roisin, my concern about speaking today is I would have clients who wouldn't agree with the referendum would want to vote no and I just if they're listening I want them to know that I respect that completely. I mean I work for one family and we have worked with crisis pregnancy for 46 years and we work with everyone. We work with any woman whether she wants to continue her pregnancy or if she wants to end it through abortion we work with that woman or that couple and the reason I'm sp- I'm speaking to you today is because I'm concerned that the referendum won't get passed.
1: Marguerite, you're in a job that most people wouldn't envy. Every person you see coming in your door is in crisis. Yeah. Would that be correct to say?
2: The clients, the women and couples who come for crisis pregnancy and post-abortion counselling. Not all in post-abortion counselling are in crisis. But the women who come in to speak with me, who are experiencing a crisis, pregnancy, are in crisis. And what I'm really aware of is that most of the women I see now, and particularly at the moment, are in despair, is how I would describe it, because um, the intensity at the moment of the coverage of this I just feel people forget that this is an experience that's happening to ordinary, everyday women and couples. And until you've had that experience, I don't think you really completely understand how hard it is.
1: I've heard the word Marguerite re-traumatised. Is is that what we're talking about for, for some women? For I know I've worked
2: with women recently who've said to me that this is bringing them back to a pregnancy they would have had a long time ago. That terror of realising back maybe in 1983 that they were pregnant and realising what that meant and remembering what that's like. Um, there's very many women who make the decision to end their pregnancy and that is their decision and They know it's the right decision for them and they're at peace and happy with that. Not about the fact that they're having an abortion, but that they know it's the right decision for them where they are in their lives. And I've never met a woman, and I'm doing this for 13 years, who made that decision lightly, and I've met many women who are very clear that this is the right decision for them. And I'm just conscious at the moment how many women are going through a very tough time, particularly with the posters. It's one of the reasons why in one family we were we're actually asking women if they want to contact us to come in and speak with us, to ring us, because those posters are very hard to look at and to see and not to question yourself. I know I've spoken to an awful lot of women who've had abortions who feel very judged at the minute, who feel. I suppose I've ended here, I'll be talking to you, or speaking to our CEO, and feeling that the women I meet, either who are deciding or who've had an abortion, um, they're ordinary everyday women. I know there's a lot of talk about the hard cases for abortion. And I'm not taking away from the hardness of those decisions. But the women and the couples I meet, they're not those hard cases. They're ordinary. And I don't mean that, I hope it doesn't sound patronising. They're women who, through one thing or another, through life, through our bodies, through failed contraception, themselves with an unplanned pregnancy, that is a crisis.
1: So it's not a headline story. It's just one of those daily awful tragedies for many people. For many they people. simply, for one reason or another, cannot go ahead with a pregnancy.
2: And you can have Kathy. You can have you could have four or five women in the same situation, and it's a different experience for them. So many things depend on. Do you have the support of a partner? Do you have family support? And even I've worked with women where their families are, want them to continue the pregnancy. I've worked with women where their families don't want them to continue with the pregnancy. And my job as a counsellor is to work with that woman so she makes the decision that's right for her. Because women will think of everybody else and not think of themselves And I suppose I'm thinking of those women because I, and this is my belief, that their voice is getting lost at the moment. They're not being heard. And in some ways, I would say the last number of weeks have been very hard for women in Ireland Um, on every level. And I'm conscious in one family, we're trying to encourage people to contact us for post-abortion counselling because women can be very slow to, to go for post-abortion counselling. Um, that's not just in Ireland, but it's in other countries as well. But it's just at the moment, if anybody wants to come in and talk with us, uh, we will offer them a counselling session and we're also doing some phone counselling as well.
1: It's something that mightn't have occurred to a lot of people that that women who have been through this are being re-traumatised, so to speak, by the posters and by the debate going on. And I think one of the things you've said, Marguerite, that one of the things you hear most often from clients is I never thought it would happen to me. I never expected to be in this situation. We have Louise White with us in the studio um, who was going to tell us about a situation she thought would never happen to her. Mm -hmm. Louise? Tell us about what happened to you
0: um so when I was twenty four I found myself pregnant in exactly the way that you have iterated. It was something that I had never expected would happen to me. It absolutely wasn't planned, and it was in I was in an on off relationship with a boyfriend and that had actually dissolved by the time that I found out that I was pregnant and I found it really challenging I found it really challenging, and a lot of the sentiments that marguerite has um, mentioned there, the idea that um, I was going to be judged or um, the idea that the decision would be made lightly, like, um, I was already felt that I was pro-choice, but when I I was faced with the decision myself. I actually realised that it wasn't black and white, that it was very profound and very challenging and I had to take a lot of time and weigh up all the options and decide what was the best thing for me. And as it happened at that time, I had just started counselling. I started counselling before I had found out. So I was... You started to
1: go for counselling. Yeah, I had started
0: just to do with other aspects of my life. I had started to go for counselling. So I was able, I was fortunate that I was able to tease that out with somebody who had started to know my experiences, and I was able to make the decision uh, through that process. And I, yeah, again, I must reiterate that 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 decision was definitely challenging, but I absolutely knew that it was the right thing for me.
1: Now, Louise, that's 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You finally only disclosed this when...
0: Well, I had told some close friends and obviously I had told my husband when we got together at the time, but I hadn't really spoken about it publicly because I was really ashamed of it and I was really afraid that I would be rejected. So it was only last year. Honestly, the trigger was it was when the Toon Baby scandal broke and I thought, why am I being so quiet about something that I feel so passionate about and so strong about and I feel like I'm being so judged about? And... Um, I just need to do something proactive. So at that time I decided to sign up to be part of the Exile Project, an online gallery which shows profiles of women to destigmatize the type of women, just again to like what Marguerite was saying, to the type of women that end up having to travel to access abortion services. And through doing that, I was it was a catalyst for me to let my family know, to let my mother know, to, to be more public about it and talk publicly.
1: And your mother discovered this last year. Yeah. And was supportive, obviously.
0: Yes, she was. I mean, I was absolutely petrified to make the call because it seemed like a really, really weighty thing. And because of the way that we talk about this in society and because of, again, what is saying, the women are forgotten, the, the difficulty of the decision is forgotten and the kind of emotional complexities are forgotten. And I just assumed that my mother would find it really challenging and would be ashamed of me and wouldn't know how to deal with it. So I just picked up the phone because she's from Leash. I'm from Leash. She's in Leash and I'm in Dublin. So I picked up the phone and I wrote little notes to myself on the back of an old envelope. And I was really, you know, I had to sit down and be considered and try and talk to her. And it certainly wasn't an easy conversation. And it was emotional, and the notes went out the window because I started to blub crying from the moment I said hi, mom. You know, and yeah, and I told her, and it was there was a lot of of um, of silence in the conversation where I feel like she was just really listening to me, and she. Her immediate reaction was that she had no judgment for me whatsoever and she was just sorry that I did that. And she knew that I was having a difficult time then anyway and I had just started therapy. She was so sorry that I carried that all on my own uh, because I was so afraid of being rejected and I was so afraid of letting them down or letting my family down or having done this bad thing that we are, as women, taught all the time by society. This is probably the worst thing you can do, get pregnant by accident outside of a committed, married relationship, all of these things that I had absorbed from society around me. So I was judging myself massively. Anyway, she was really compassionate and then, you know, because my mum, you know, she's in her 70s, she's a church-going woman, she's from a rural town, and so would be her close friends. So... You know, that evening I was sitting on the couch eating a bowl of cereal on the couch and I got a text message and it was from her friend saying, again, the same, so sorry that you had to go through that all on your own. Your mum told me the news. Just, obviously, I blubbed into my cereal because I just felt so um, overwhelmed with the fact that people didn't, weren't ashamed of me, uh, of me and that they were just compassionate.
1: And, Louise, you say that that this began to, the chew them baby home Mm -hmm. story, you wondered what was going on in your head at that Mm -hmm. time. Why were you not being more vocal about it? Um, Have you settled since then or has this campaign resurrected all of that?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, the campaign, I suppose I'm committed to talking about it. I feel like I want to tell my story because I want to try and make change happen. Every time I speak about it, it's not easy. Every time I speak about it, It costs me something emotionally, but I have a really good support system around me. I have people who are very loving around me, so I'm prepared to do it. But that's another thing I think that's forgotten in the debate is that having to kind of explain your personal life all the time, explain to people the complexities of your decision, talk about things publicly where you're open to hypothetical judgment from people who don't know you. What I found is that, and because I've been canvassing a lot as well, what I found is that When you talk to people, the undecideds, that they're the the harder conversations that you have, that when people are weighing it up, it's usually because they haven't had a personal experience or at least people close to them haven't discussed it. So they really think about this hypothetical scenario about what women might do and what kind of woman might need to access abortion services. And they don't think that it's just a normal woman or, or a woman who's had three children and can't possibly have a fourth or you know, for whatever reason, they don't understand. I was talking to somebody, somebody contacted me via social media who's actually having a crisis pregnancy at the moment. And we went to a park and I was talking to her. And again, that impacts. I want to be supportive. I want to offer her all of the learning and lived experience that I have. But then I drive home looking at no no posters and that's really challenging. But we sat in a park And I was trying to tell her how, you know, this is the truth is that Irish women are having abortions and it's one in five. And I was looking around the park in a really affluent part of town and I was just thinking all of these women, these women playing with their children, that woman over there, that woman over there who looks like she's from somewhere else. All of these people access abortion services. So it's about trying to 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 explain that and let people know and um, so to go back to your original question, yeah, it takes its toll. It, it certainly takes its toll, but I'm trying to stay strong and stay positive and stay on track.
1: Now, Marguerite, if I can ask you a sort of a slightly provocative question, this talk of re-traumatising the posters, upsetting people, I suspect if there was somebody from the no side sitting at this table, they would say, well, isn't that about guilt? Isn't that what? Are you not just acknowledging a reality?
2: It's a hard question to answer. Um, Those posters are pretty hard on people. Um, I mean, I've met in my work many women who have made that decision to end their pregnancy and would not have a guilt about ending the pregnancy, would feel very at peace about ending. Pregnancy. Yet, when you're confronted with that poster after poster after poster, in a society where you've done something which, if we're being really honest, is illegal in this country, um, it's very hard for a woman, I would say, not to be traumatized by that. Um, I would say. For myself, I at times I have not listened to the debates that are going on because it reminds me too much of 1983, to be honest. And am I answering your question, Cathy? Because yeah. uh, I can get a little lost because this is a hard question to answer. And I just want to say I respect everybody's view on this because mm. I work with women who would be... Who would, who would not agree with termination and went ahead with their pregnancies. And it's a great privilege to work with any woman in this situation, to be honest with you. Um, as a counsellor, you only get a short time to work sometimes. But about the re-traumatisation, it's, it's, it's like what Louise said, it's part of all of it. It's the secrecy. It's the um, the fact that it is illegal here. Um, there's very many women now who have abortions completely on their own because of social media, because they can get the abortion pill online. They go and they do this on their own, which is a very lonely and sad way to... Um, end pregnancy and we've, we're asking if women and some of those those women, we don't know an awful lot about them Kathy. if you're going to ask me about them because they tend not to come mm-hmm. for counselling um, they've been very slow to come in for post-abortion counselling um, but in one family we're saying we're there if people want to come and talk to us about
1: this. Because this is the, 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 the abortion pill is almost seen to be a magical cure. It's almost like taking an aspirin by people.
2: Oh, it's, but, it, it's
1: but it it is it is it is equally what you, you in your experience, Marguerite, people are, are all affected by it as much as when a I lic- surgical option. When
2: I listen to people talking about the abortion pill, a bit like Louise was saying, it's not an easy option. I mean, it's two it's two lots of pills that have to be taken. Um it's, it is like a miscarriage, but it's not. But, I mean, it's not It's not like taking... I sometimes think, the general public think, it's like taking a, 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 a paracetamol. It's not. I mean, you have to take one set of the pills and then you have to wait a certain length of time and take the other, the second part. Now, a woman needs to do that under medical supervision. The reality is, this is what's happening. Women are doing this on mm. their own, um, and I don't feel that's talked about enough. That this—it's not easy. It's not like taking panadol, mm. um, and they tend not to talk about it because it's actually illegal. It is illegal.
1: So the women who come in your door, Marguerite, they're, are they from all strata of society?
2: Women who come in to see myself and other counsellors can be from all areas of society, can be women who are very young women, right up to middle aged women from all areas of society. And I would hear, just like Louise said, all that sense in the counselling room. I've sat with women in the counselling room in despair. And the thing you hear most is, I never thought this would happen to me I've heard women say I'm pro-choice I never thought this would happen to me and I've also heard women say I never thought I would think about an abortion and I can't believe that this is happening to me and people have to understand contraception can fail our bodies can we can be sick we can People get pregnant and it's unplanned. Mm -hmm. Now, not all unplanned pregnancies are crisis, just to say that, you know. But I suppose I've met women from very young to quite mature in the counselling room.
1: So we've talked about the hard cases, Louise, um, Mm -hmm. in in this campaign. There's been a lot of reference to fatal fetal abnormality, um, to rape cases and where there is an illness and. A woman could actually die um, we've been focusing on the on the uh, the right to travel and all that sort of thing um but there has there been, has there been enough discussion about what we're talking about today which is the 10 week situation mm-hmm. which is which is what it usually is for women do you feel that's been obliterated in the campaign or that it hasn't been given enough attention
0: yeah i do actually and um The other thing that I feel like is really important to talk about is that, you know, people make mistakes. Like the idea, you know, so even to talk about the idea of failed contraception and unplanned pregnancies and we use language that's very safe that can kind of mean something vague but we don't say exactly what it is. But actually you can get pregnant completely by accident when you didn't want it to take place at all and uh, you hadn't planned for it. And the idea that you know, three lives that you would would join your life together with somebody who you already didn't have a a strong relationship with and that then you would bring a third party into the world um, is really challenging to me, you know, and it's very hard to make that argument at the moment because the argument is so binary. And even when you were asking Marguerite about posters there, you know, when you were asking her to... um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was about the, uh, the, the the challenges of it and how the imagery and things like that are very challenging. But the thing about that is, apart from the fact, quite apart from the fact that that's really char- challenging for women who have miscarried and fetal anomalies. But the other thing about it is there's a real, there's no sense of understanding the complexities of the lived experience. And there seems to be so much shame and vitriol and hatred in them for that somebody like me, who is a real life human being who now has her life established and is married with two children and is happy to parent and happy to be a mother now uh, that that I should be completely dismissed as a member of society because of the fact that I travel to access abortion is really challenging to me
1: and I suppose what you what you would say, Louise, was a valid a valid decision not to oh, be a parent at that time.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely necessary. I cannot imagine how how challenging how difficult how damaging to my mental health how i would not have been able to parent how i wouldn't have been able to parent the way that i'm able to parent my children now it would have been a whole world of experiences and and the fact is that as we were already saying the fact is that all types of women access abortion and and it should be we should be able to make that super complicated decision ourselves and understanding that it's not an easy decision to make. And also some people don't make the decision, do you know what I mean? But give us the option would be what I would suggest or I'm asking for.
1: Marguerite, we haven't really talked about the protection of life during pregnancy bill either and what those women are going through.
2: Any counsellor who works in this area has to be aware of the Protection of Life and Pregnancy Act and the Abortion Information Act because that the Abortion Information Act means that in a counselling session I must legally discuss all three options with the woman. If a woman comes in and says to me, I have an appointment in England on Tuesday, I've come just to talk with you, just to talk to clear my head, I still have to say to that woman, legally, I have to speak with you about abor- about the option of parenting and adoption. Now that the impact of that has changed slightly because of social media and the internet. Women can get the information now and can look it up themselves. Uh, I still have to give her all the information about the abortion in that session. Um, the Protection of Life and Pregnancy Act, <sighs> from a counselling point of view, if a woman came into to me and was suicidal because of the pregnancy, I can... Suggest to her that she could look into seeing could she have an abortion in Ireland because she's suicidal because of the pregnancy. I often think do the general public realise that a woman then has to go and be reviewed by three separate three doctors, and then she has to be certified, and that's the word certified to have the abortion. The women who have that experience in Ireland, in my experience, are the poorest women in our communities. Um, they're women who are either in the mental health services through, through a mental health issue or they're women who are in the asylum process who cannot travel and who usually discover the pregnancy late in the pregnancy. Um, now, I honestly don't know how we can put women through that still. It's an awful process to go through. Um, You can appeal it within seven days. So then you go back and you go through the same process again to appeal it. Um, Sometimes it's very hard for a woman in the asylum process to travel abroad because it's very long. It's very complicated. She has to get papers to travel. She has to get a visa to go to England. So...
1: She has to gather the money.
2: She has to gather them, the money. Um, And you're trying to prepare that woman as well as support her as a counsellor to the fact that she may not get this abortion and she may have to go on and parent um, when she really does not want to. with the, the repeal, if this goes through, my experience of most of the women in the asylum process who come to us, it's late in the pregnancy. They might have arrived in Ireland don't realise they're pregnant. But what we put those women through is horrendous, to be honest. It's absolutely horrendous. Um, and there's also women as well that we work a lot in one family with are migrant women. Who come here on a visa, maybe to study English, and the visa has expired. Now, a lot of those women choose to parent, but they're not in the system. So those women who choose to parent, and most of them do, um, really are living like in an un- kind of an underworld. They're they're, they're dependent on charities for help or if someone will give them some work because they're not eligible for anything here. And it take can take a very long time because we, we would work with women trying to get their papers legalised. So those women go into poverty, really. Um,
1: with the so, children.
2: With the children. So this is really complex. There's so much complexity about this. Um,
1: and yet, Louise, it's been... What we have then are these binary, these binary, uh, this binary debate. Um, Now, I would ask you, uh, we see these posters up on the lampposts and everything of the tiny foetuses, which are quite misrepresentative in some cases, but nonetheless, they're there. And the nose side would say they represent reality. How else are they to conduct a campaign if not by showing people? what they believe to be the truth of abortion.
0: Honestly, I have not thought at all about how else the No campaign would, because it's really challenging to even sustain myself, canvassing, campaigning for the yes side. I suppose the other thing that to say is that I understand that there is a moral issue a question right. I understand that for some people it's really complicated and it's really morally challenging. But the other thing is I think the idea of one person's um, one person's reservations or a, uh, governing everybody's every woman's decision, so it's not one person's reservations. What I mean to say is it is complicated, but it also should be legal to be able to decide it and we should be able to support women at whatever stage of their pregnancy. The support is required, so I'm not saying... Um, I'm not saying something frivolous that it should be without restrictions and I'm not saying something frivolous. I feel like every case is different and it should be legislated for. Right now I think we should just take the Eighth Amendment, which is not serving women at all, out of the uh, Constitution and I think we should get people who are absolute experts in many different fields and the particular fields that are relevant to determine how that should all pan out. So to answer your questions, what else should they do? I don't know, Cathy. The truth is, I really don't know. I haven't thought enough about it because I find some of their modes of campaigning really challenging. So I have to kind of suppress it just to get on.
1: Marguerite, when it comes down to the the essence of your message, what would you like to say?
2: What I'd like to say is to remember... That a crisis pregnancy is something that can happen to anyone. To anybody's daughter, your niece, your sister. And to remember that that experience, the despair in that experience, and to remember that when they're voting about this. um
1: Do you think it's possible, Marguerite, that there are women out there who've never come across someone who's had an abortion?
2: No, I don't. But they might not know that that woman has had an abortion. There's an awful lot of women in Ireland who have had abortions that nobody knows anything about.
1: I know. I have daughters in their 30s who tell me there are women of their age who say they know no one this has happened to and they can't understand why it happens.
2: Well, I would say the chances of a woman telling them at the moment that this has happened, unless they know them very, very well, is getting slimmer and slimmer as this campaign goes on. Because I just think it's getting harder and harder for women who have had abortions as this campaign goes on.
1: You were saying Marguerite is getting harder and harder to talk about, which is kind of counterintuitive when we think that everything is out there now. Everything is being debated and talked about and finally people are talking about their own experiences. To a lot of people it feels like this was never more talked about. But you're saying from the richness of your experience that it's getting harder and harder to talk about. Why is that? Well, it's the posters.
2: It's the debate around the hard, what's called the hard cases. It's um, for a woman to say, in a com- if this comes up in a conversation, for a woman to say, well, actually, I've had an abortion Like Louise was saying, it's very hard if this is being debated at, say, a conversation with friends and neighbours. It's very hard to say, well, actually, I had an abortion. Because like Louise said, then you're going to have to go into why you had it. Was it hard to have it? And nearly have to justify it. Um, But I know in the counselling rooms at the moment, anybody who's working with this It is so hard for anybody who's coming in. It's particularly challenging at the moment. At the moment, yes, it is. For anyone who's either a crisis pregnancy or has had an abortion recently or in the past.
1: Louise, what we're coming up with here, apparently, is that there are good, quote unquote, abortions and bad, quote unquote, abortions. Ones that are deserving and ones that are really, you should never get into that situation in the first place like the poor, you know, the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. Are you finding that is a feature of this debate or is that part of the reason that you're feeling so challenged during these weeks?
0: Yeah, I am. And it has occurred to me, you know, quite a bit because, um, again, the way that we talk about the stories, as Margarita said, it's the hard cases and it's the things that I suppose are very easy to grab onto quickly as a strong uh, representative of the story or of tragedy. And that actually it's much harder to talk about a a flaw of a human being or an accident that you had not intended and to ask somebody to give you some uh, compassion or extend themselves in some way to say, I understand that you made a mistake, but I also realise that this would make your life so much more complicated or that this has presented a really difficult challenge to you. Um, so I feel like even I find myself trying to monitor or uh, tidy up my own experience when I talk about it so that it's more palatable but actually the truth is I made a mistake I can't be judged, I am being judged now for, for, um, for the decision that I made to have an abortion but in that people make mistakes and the other thing is can I just say that men also make mistakes like a woman doesn't get pregnant on her own do you know what I mean? So there are, there are conversations that are happening, and a huge amount of it happens around women, but actually it requires a, a fertilisation, like, actually, for somebody to get pregnant. So the idea that there's only one person that makes the mistake is fundamentally problematic, but actually, typically, what we always do in Irish societies, we go and we put all the weight onto the woman and the, the decision-making, and also a lot of the times in pregnancies like my own that were unplanned, you know, two people make the decision. And oftentimes the man is saying, please, 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 we need to do this because they're petrified also. So the idea that there is a wrong decision or that you should be punished for your mistakes in such a gargantuan way, you know, the impact of that is so huge. Uh, Is um, Yeah, I find that really problematic and it's actually really refreshing to be able to talk about it because I feel like I've been really permissive and polite about it for a long time because I'm trying to stay in the palatable debate and it's tough to have that conversation when you're on the doorsteps but maybe I will do that now as well because all you're doing is speaking your own experience.
1: So Louise, two weeks to go thereabouts. Um, do you think you can hack it for the next two weeks?
0: Yeah, for two weeks, but I'm really looking forward to the 26th of May. Yeah, I can hack it for two weeks, but um, that's probably about all I have left in me.
1: Marguerite, the same applies to you, I presume. Yes. Look, I know you are very nervous about doing this interview and we very much appreciate your coming in and we very much appreciate the experience you've brought to bear in this interview. And Louise, thank you very much for coming in and continuing with the work. Thank you. So there you are, a view on what shape this debate is taking and whether some people are being omitted from it. Uh, We leave that for you to decide. Thank you very much, Marguerite McCarthy and Louise White for coming in to talk to us. That's all we have time for. The podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and I'll talk to you next time.